Good morning, loved ones, and Merry Christmas to you. I'm so glad that we have this time that we can share together and that we can walk through the Word of God with one another. If you're just joining us for the first time, my name is Charles, and I'm the pastor here at Hickory Rock Baptist Church in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And it is my sincere prayer that our time spent together in God's Word will help you in your walk with Christ. Won't you join me in a word of prayer, and then we will look at our special Christmas text today, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for Christ. And Father God, we pray and ask that during this time you will give us open ears and open hearts and that you will help us to sit humbly under the authority of your word and that we will take your word, Lord, and be nourished by it and that we will hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Father, I pray that you will empower us through your Holy Spirit to be the people that you have redeemed us to be, and that you will help us to follow you more humbly, more joyfully, more faithfully, and more obediently. Father, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we said today, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. This is Luke's account of Jesus' birth. And if you can believe it or not, tomorrow is Christmas Day. And that means that we have come to one of the most unique days of the year. This is a day where our secular, worldly, social calendar intersects with the liturgical calendar. And what I mean by that is this. For nearly everyone in the world, tomorrow is Christmas. Whether they are Christian or not, whether Christmas holds for them a religious significance or not, everyone around the world knows that tomorrow is Christmas. And because of that, it's only appropriate for us today to take time to walk through the story of Jesus' birth and to look at the incredible events that surrounded that momentous occasion. But since this story is so very well known to us, we need to guard ourselves today against falling into one of two traps. First of all, we need to guard ourselves against the desire to reinvent the wheel, of wanting to read something into the text that is not there so as to reignite our interest in this passage. But we also need to guard ourselves today against familiarity. We need to put out of our minds the idea that since we've heard this passage so many times, that there's nothing new for us to hear. Because the truth of the matter is this. The details that Luke gives us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are incredible. And no matter how many times we hear or read this account, God is going to blow our minds by showing us something we had not seen before. And so today, as we make our way through Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, I want us to see how three things, a decree, a proclamation, and a report, all help to remind us of God's sovereignty and of how he works all things together for his glory and for his purposes, and also of his incredible faithfulness to keep his promises to us. So if you would, loved ones, Join me now, Luke chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 20. And it says this, In those days, a decree went from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and who was pregnant. Now, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, for there was no guest room available for them. And in that same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which is just as they had been told. So loved ones, if you remember, in the chapter before this, in Luke chapter one, Mary learns that she will conceive and give birth to the son of God and that he will be the Messiah, the perfect ruler who will shepherd and rule over God's people. Mary learns from the angel Gabriel that this one, the Messiah, the one whom the ancient prophets had long been promising would come, that he would come to this world through her, from her womb. And as all these pieces fell into place, when we pick up in uh, chapter 2, there is still one thing that needs to happen. For things to be as God said they would. One more thing still needs to fall into place, and that is this. Mary and Joseph have to get to Bethlehem. As chapter 1 comes to an end, we learn that Mary and Joseph are not in Bethlehem. They are still in Nazareth. So Bethlehem is the last piece of the puzzle, and Bethlehem is important for two reasons. Number one, it's the hometown of King David, Israel's greatest King. And long before these events took place, God promised David that the Messiah would come from his family. Secondly, we learn in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So not only would the Messiah be from David's family, he would also be born in the same town that David was born in. So what that means is this, one way or another, Mary and Joseph have to get to Bethlehem. If Mary's child is not born in Bethlehem, then God has not kept his word. But here's the problem. Bethlehem is 90 miles away from Nazareth. That trip 
would have taken anywhere between four to seven days on foot. And to make that trip on the shorter end of that in four days, Mary and Joseph would have had to have walked at a pace of 2.8 miles an hour for eight hours a day in order to make it there within four days. And that's daunting enough under normal circumstances. But don't forget the fact that Mary is now nine months pregnant. She is ready to deliver at any time. So there's absolutely no reason for them to leave Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. But God's word and God's promises must come to pass. And here into the scene wanders an unlikely solution brought about by an unlikely source. Many months before these events took place, Many, many miles away from Nazareth and Bethlehem and Israel, way across the sea in Italy, in a palace in Rome, sat Caesar Augustus. And by all accounts, historical and otherwise, we can safely say that at this moment in time, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world. Augustus, a name that means the majestic or the revered one, the ruler of the entire Roman Empire, he decides that it's time to do a census, to take count of his subjects, to ensure that they are paying him the tribute that he is due. So Caesar issues a decree, an official and binding order. We could say perhaps a commandment or a law that everyone in the empire must return to their ancestral hometown to be counted for this census. So of all the possible things that could have happened, this decree becomes the reason why Joseph and a very pregnant Mary hit the road to Bethlehem. Joseph, as we are reminded, is of the family line of David. So now legally he is bound to go to Bethlehem to be registered. But that is not even the most beautiful thing about this passage. What's truly incredible is this. We see here in these verses how God orchestrated the entire course of history to achieve his purpose of getting this couple to the place where the Messiah was to be born. And I hope we see the incredible irony here in this passage. We have Caesar Augustus, a man who claimed to be God, a man who claimed to rule over the entire world, a man who thought he was flexing his royal muscle over his empire by decreeing this census. And yet here in this scene, he is nothing more than a pawn in God's plan. He and his decree have, are nothing more than the means by which Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem so that Jesus, the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings, can be born in the town of David. As great as Caesar thought he was, and as great as he thought his decree to order this census was, his actions here, his decree, are only noteworthy now because they became the means by which God's promises were fulfilled. So loved ones, what we see in the opening verses of Luke chapter 2, they are not merely historical context. This is a reminder that God works all things together 
for his glory and for his purposes. This reminds us that God is absolutely sovereign over absolutely everything and that no one, not even kings or emperors or Caesars or presidents, are too big to be used by and for God's glory. And after telling us that the time came for Mary to deliver her son and that she had to lie him in a manger because everything in Bethlehem was so overrun that there weren't even, even any guest rooms available in people's homes, Luke then quickly shifts the focus to the shepherds who were out in the pastures surrounding the town. And these shepherds were doing what any good shepherd would do. They were out watching their flocks at night, keeping them safe, making sure they were okay while everyone else was asleep. Now, at some point in Christian history, we developed this notion that shepherds were reviled and despised and not trusted in the Hebrew culture of this era. And the truth of the matter is this. There's no truth to that at all. We made that up. There's absolutely no evidence to support this. We know that shepherds had long been respected in Hebrew culture. As a matter of fact, two of Israel's greatest leaders, both Moses and David, were shepherds before the Lord put them in positions of power. And not only that, we do have some reason to believe that these particular shepherds around Bethlehem may have been watching over the sheep that would later be used as sacrifices in the Jerusalem temple. But on this particular night, these men were doing what they and their ancestors had been doing for as long and as far back as anyone could remember. They were watching faithfully, diligently, lovingly over their flocks in the dark of night while all the world around them slept. But as the world was sleeping, something incredible, something miraculous was happening. And news of this miraculous event had to be announced. So God sent a proclamation to all of creation, announcing the arrival of the long-awaited Redeemer, the promised Son, we see that first a single heavenly messenger broke through and illuminated the night sky as it appeared before the shepherds. And this heavenly messenger broke the good news, the gospel, the euangelion of this miraculous birth that was taking place in Bethlehem. And as the angel tells the shepherds, this birth is important for three reasons. This child born in Bethlehem in the city of David is the Savior, he is the Christ, and he is Lord. This threefold proclamation, loved ones, is significant. This is critical to helping us understand who this child is and to be sure that the shepherds and us today know who Jesus is. God tells us directly in this proclamation. We see here and learn from the angels that Jesus is the Savior, meaning he is the one who would come to save. He is the one who would bring God's salvation to the world. If you remember in Matthew's gospel, an angel appears to Joseph and tells Joseph that Jesus would save his people from their sins. This baby would grow into a man who would become the means by which God's plan of salvation was accomplished. 
Secondly, the angels tell us that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. And we remember that the Messiah was the promised deliverer, the long-awaited perfect ruler, the perfect king that God promised would come and reign over God's people. The Messiah was that promised perfect king who David learned would come from his family and who would defeat all evil and who would make all things new and right and who would bring fulfillment to all of God's promises. Lastly, the angels tell us that Jesus is Lord. Now, when Jewish people heard the word Lord, they had one thought in their mind, God. God was Adonai or Lord. In fact, the word Lord or Adonai was a term that was invented out of reverence so that people would not misuse or abuse God's real name, Yahweh. But here, when these angels are proclaiming that this child is Lord, they are telling all of creation that this baby is God himself, that he is Yahweh, that God himself has come to this world. And loved ones, this is a radical proclamation. This proclamation is one of several things that separates our faith from all the other traditions of the world. For we believe that our God loved us so much that he came to this world himself to save us. But our God came not like Caesar would, with a show of force and with conquering armies. Our God did not come to, take, uh, to punish his enemies and to hurl lightning bolts at those who opposed him. Instead, our God came to this earth as the weakest and most vulnerable of all creatures, as a human baby. Jesus came to this world as a baby who cried, a baby who messed his diaper, a baby who had to learn how to walk and talk. And yet this same baby would grow into a man who would give himself up to defeat the one enemy that no other king and no other deity could ever defeat. And that is death. So this proclamation is a royal announcement. Here God is announcing to all of creation that Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, his very son, had been born. And Jesus' birth announcement comes with a, an amount of joy and jubilation and fanfare that Caesar Augustus back in Rome could only ever dream of receiving. We spoke a moment ago of how Caesar thought he was flexing his royal muscle by issuing this decree to register all of the world. But here we see who the true king is. Here we see who holds the real power. For it is here in Bethlehem that the skies literally split open to announce the birth of Christ. And it's the birth of this incredible child who grew into an even more incredible man that we celebrate at Christmas. It's the birth of this child that caused all of the armies of heaven, all of God's legions of angels, to join ranks and to break through the night sky to sing and to proclaim to these Bethlehem shepherds. And it's this baby that these angels tell the shepherds to go and see. 
And what we find in the final verses of this passage is that the shepherds showed no hesitation in obeying these orders from the heavenly host. The angels told the shepherds exactly what to be looking for, and immediately after the heavenly host departed, the, the shepherds say to each other, let's go see this baby. So the shepherds hurry off. They find the baby Jesus, but notice what they do upon seeing the child. They don't stay at the manger. They don't linger there. They see the child, and then they leave. They depart, but they don't depart the manger and go back quietly and unchanged to their old lives. Luke tells us that these shepherds go back to the fields praising and glorifying God for what he has done, for keeping his promise to send a savior. And as these shepherds go back to the fields, they tell everybody, they report this news to anyone who will listen. They tell everyone about the child who was born in Bethlehem, who was the savior, the Christ, and the Lord. Luke tells us that everyone who heard this report from the shepherds marveled was amazed, was astounded by what they heard. And I think this is an important lesson for us, loved ones. I believe the shepherds' actions here teach us two things. First of all, we learn that we also cannot linger at the manger. We can't stay at that place where we first encountered Christ. Every day cannot be Christmas Day. At some point, we have to leave that place, leave that moment, and we have to return to the world around us. But that leads us to the second thing. For when we return to the world, when we leave the manger and go back to our lives, we must return changed, and we must tell everyone of the great news of what God has done. I'm reminded of the words of Ebenezer Scrooge at the very end of the Christmas Carol. After Scrooge's incredible experiences and his transformation, Scrooge proclaims, I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will keep it all the year. And loved ones, the same must be true for us. While we can't stay at the manger forever, we must keep the manger in our hearts. We must live in the light of the incredible thing that God did at Bethlehem. But even more important than that is this. We must live in the light of what the child born in Bethlehem did for us as a man on a cross in Jerusalem. We must live our lives in the light of both the cradle and the cross. The cradle was the sign that our salvation had arrived, but loved ones, the cross is the sign that our salvation has been accomplished. And it's because of both the cradle and the cross that we have hope no matter what circumstances or situation we find ourselves in today. And as we do this, as we live in the light of both the cradle and the cross, we must tell all around us of God's wondrous love that he has displayed and made available to us through his son, Jesus. And so, loved ones, we see here that Luke's account of Jesus' birth 
helps us to see that all around us is a clash of kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God with its mercy and its forgiveness and its restoration that is arriving here at Bethlehem with the birth of the newborn king. And then there is the kingdom of the world with its oppression and suppression that is being ruled by an ever-changing array of Caesars. And Luke here helps us to see that we must choose which kingdom we live for and which king we serve. And if we choose to keep serving Caesar in the kingdom of this world and loved ones, there is absolutely no change required on our part. We can simply remain complicit with the sorrow and the heartbreak that this kingdom brings. And we can continue to live in our rebellion against God. And if that's the case, then Christmas can be nothing more to us than just a day off of work and a day to make ourselves happy. But if we choose to serve the true king, the king of kings, and to live for the kingdom of heaven, then we must submit our lives to that king. We must give our devotion, our loves, our hearts, our entire beings to the king who was born in the manger. And we must profess what the angels told us, that Jesus is our savior, that he is our king, that he is our God. And we must commit to living out the reality of the cradle and the cross each and every day. But making this profession, making this commitment, demands something of us. It demands that we share this same news, this same proclamation that the angels made to the shepherds and that the shepherds made to everyone that, around Bethlehem, we must now share that same proclamation with those all around us who are still enslaved to the kingdom of this world. We must proclaim to them the salvation and freedom and hope that Christ has brought to this world. So loved ones, on this Christmas Eve, the question for us is this. Are we making this profession? Are we sharing this news? Are we living each day in the light and the, in the reality of the cradle and the cross? Which kingdom are we living for? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your great love that you have made known and available to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that he is indeed the Savior, the Christ, and our God. We thank you, Father, for the love that he poured out for us as he gave himself up for us on the cross so that we might be forgiven and pardoned of our rebellion. And so we might be able to come back to you. Father, help us to share this news with a world that is so desperate to hear it. Father, help us to see the need all around us. Help us to see those who need to hear this news. And Father, help us to share it with them. We thank you for your love. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.